Welcome to Dangerous Christianity with Dr. Christopher Rodkey, where we explore new ways of being Christian that go against the grain, stands up against the church when it's evil, speaks truth to power, and reclaims the Bible as a radical message of hope, liberation, and justice. Dr. Rodkey is pastor of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania, and leads the sacred profane community, a post-faith gathering for those seeking to nurture a literate and misfit geeky, sometimes sneaky, as well as a queer-affirming and beer-affirming spirituality. All information mentioned throughout the program is listed in the show notes. And now, please welcome Dr. Christopher Rodney. Our Gospel reading is Mark 4 verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And having and leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Last, uh, last sermon, uh, we heard the story of Peter's fear of inadequacy and the unknown and beloved disciple of the Gospel of John being a naysayer, even when Jesus appoints him leader of the church. Today we hear the story, I think, that is depicted on one of our stained glass windows here at St. Paul's. The story is of Jesus on the boat. It happens in the Gospel of Mark right after he calls the disciples on the beach. Jesus casts a demon from a man, and Mary and some family members beg Jesus to come home because he's creating a stir. And Jesus says, who are my mother? Who, and who, where, who are my brothers? And then Jesus points the, points the crowd and says, you are all my mother and brothers. Whoever is with God is my, my sister and my mother and my brother. In other words... Jesus sort of disses his family, disowns his family. So Jesus goes back to the beach and starts teaching in parables. Then the evening comes and Jesus says, let's go the other side of the lake. <clears throat> and then there's a terrible windstorm. In my mind, I've always imagined this sort of like a hurricane, but that's not exactly how it lines up with what we know about this area. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. It's not a large body of water in comparison to what we think of here in the United States. But it is a significant body of water in a part of the world that does not get have much water. And some parts of Israel get less than an inch of rain per year. But around Galilee, at least in our time today, and I looked it up, around the modern city of Tiberias, which is on the side of the lake that this story is taking place on it, there's a reported uh, average of roughly 17 inches of rain per year. That's roughly half of what we get in Pennsylvania. This area is also one of the hotter parts of the region. Its temperature is comparable to some parts of the Negev Desert to the south. Almost all of the rain 
in this area takes place in November, December, January, and February. The rest of the year averages less than an inch to more typically zero average rain. I dug a little deeper into some weather statistics and found that while the lake area of Galilee does, does have a slight breeze over most of the year, the wind picks up primarily during the hottest and most humid months of the summer. In other words, at the time of the year when the area does not get rain, it's very likely to have a breeze, or at least on ground level or at the beach. The higher mountainous area would, would have probably been more windy. This is all to say that this image that I have and many of us carry to this story is of something like a hurricane. This hurricane is pretty unlikely in the Sea of Galilee. Rain and wind together would have been very unusual if not unheard of. But this is the thing about Bible stories. Uh, when we read this story closely and put our biases and images and childhood connections to the story aside, the Gospel of Mark does not say anything about rain, but only about wind. So yes, it does get pretty windy there in the summer, and you would notice it, especially on the lake. And even so, the point of the story is that this windstorm is pretty unusual in terms of an event that these fishermen might not have ever experienced. And I think that's the point. More seasoned or more traveled fishermen might have sailed and fished on the Mediterranean Sea or elsewhere. But this wind was entirely outside of these men's experience. They might have heard of something like this, but never imagined they'd experience it at night, that night, on the Sea of Galilee. And I think the story is kind of funny hearing it. Water's coming into the boat. I imagine it's rocking back and forth in really rough waters, as I understand it, on, on the kind of boats they were using at the time. You want to move uh, any weight in the boat, and ideally yourself, into the middle of the boat. So in the middle of the storm with water gushing in, where's Jesus? He's sleeping. And he's sleeping on the part of the boat where his weight would have been a burden. And the disciples yell at him saying, we're dying here. Don't you care that we're dying here? The words which follow here are important. So let me tell you about the original language here in the Gospel of Mark. I kind of picture Jesus waking up and thinking, you woke me up for this? And Jesus does two things. And if you are reading along in scripture, uh, this is an important detail. First, Jesus rebukes the wind and then he speaks to the sea. Now, the wind was causing the waters of the sea to come into the boat. The wind was not what would kill them or drown them so much as it was the sea. The sea is passive in that it is controlled by the wind, but the sea is what is dangerous. The word in Greek for rebuke is really more of a direct command. Jesus controls the wind, but not necessarily with words. Something about Jesus commands the wind. And then the Bible says that he spoke to the sea, saying, peace, be still. The word here is not shalom, which is what we often think of with the word peace in the Bible. Shalom is a way of wishing peace for someone or wishing someone good health or good welfare. But Jesus uses a different word here, according to Mark. It's, it's siopa, meaning be quiet, shut up. And pefimoso, which the Bible translates as be still. It's a weird, it's a weird words that aren't typically used in a command, literally meaning be muzzled. Literally, Jesus taking takes command of the wind and then speaks directly to the sea and commands the waters to shut up and to be muzzled. Closing your mouth and being muzzled are ideas that are closely connected here so we can have some confidence that this is the right way of hearing these words. Not just peace and be still, but shut up 
be muzzled. It may be that pifimoso was a kind of insult to give to someone, telling someone to be quiet because they're barking and violent at the mouth. This is to say Jesus takes control of the situation calmly and directly, and I think the story is, is connected to the story shortly before it of the man casting, having demons cast out of him. And when they get to safety on the other side of the lake, Jesus casts out another demon. The theme here seems to not be so much demons, which gets focused upon because they're demons and that, that demands attention. But this is how people understood sickness in the time. We know this. The important aspect here for first century ears is that Jesus cures a man whose hand has been withered and teaches them and then saves them by commanding the wind and the sea, and then cures someone from an area that had been ravaged by the Roman military on the other side of the lake. And that man would have been one of just a few survivors. Jesus is taking care of people, whether they're sick, whether they're in danger, or whether they've experienced trauma and when they're hungry for knowledge. And after that, in the way Mark tells the story, Jesus hears a young girl and a woman. Jesus serves and comforts women. In the middle of this, his family thinks he's crazy and his hometown rejects him. All of this more or less is the summary. What we just said is Mark chapters 3 through 6. When we read the Bible or hear stories of Jesus, we are often tempted to direct our attention toward not only what our perceptions of the stories are, but more directly what the stories, that the stories, uh, especially when they are more fantastic and vivid, fantastical, Jesus casting out demons, Jesus calming the storm. But when we take the stories together, we get a picture of Jesus, not as this superhero, but as a multidimensional individual, a healer who cares for vastly different people in vastly different situations. The disciples on the boat were in fear because they were in danger. It was a fisherman's worst nightmare, a windstorm in the middle of the lake at night. It was possibly a do-or-die situation, or at least they thought it was. And Jesus wakes up and says, listen, I got this. Jesus' words right afterwards are interesting. It appears now that Jesus, are, the disciples are afraid of Jesus. He asks them, why are you afraid? The disciples are in awe and terror and wonder simultaneously that they see Jesus command the wind and muzzle the waters. The waves are probably still chopping and splashing, but they're being held back like a raging animal that has been muzzled. Jesus could snap his fingers and command the water to kill them too, they probably thought. Now what's fascinating about this is in uh, the Bible, verse 41, they are filled with great awe and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? The language here is a direct reference, I think, to another story of people on a boat that's well known in the Bible, namely Jonah and the whale. You can look along with this in Jonah 1, uh, verses 1 through 16. It's the story of Jonah and the whale. And then in Jonah 2, Jonah prays that the best thing that could happen at that point was that the fish would vomit him out on dry land only to be told to go to the place he didn't want to go before. If you go back to the Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, the stories are very similar. And if you do that, I hope that you see the connections. And to be really specific, Jonah 1.16 is more or less the exact same language as we find in the Gospel of Mark. This detail can help us make sense of what the meaning of what the Gospel of Mark is trying to tell us about Jesus here. The men on the boat in the story of Jonah, though, were 
terrified of the judgment of God for throwing Jonah overboard like Jonah had told them to. They had fear of God and immediately went to the shoreline and offered sacrifices and pledged oaths to God because they felt bad about throwing him over the side of the boat. Could it be that Mark is trying to say that maybe the disciples thought this storm came upon them because of Jesus? That after casting out some demons, they came back to them when they were vulnerable or they followed them onto the boat when they're vulnerable at night at the sea on the sea. We focus on the fantastic, the fantastical elements here, the wind and the sea being held back. But maybe the focus of the story is that it is that this story even happened. As I said before, the windstorm like this would have been something sort of bizarre for that place. And maybe the disciples considered throwing Jesus off the boat. He was sleeping in the storm, and the disciples got afraid that he was possibly causing the storm, or he had brought this upon them, and that Jesus might survive this, but he might not. A few chapters later, Jesus would walk on water. So it isn't just that the disciples are afraid or that they're amazed, and that they might, be, might have been thinking that they need to cast off Jesus from the boat to save themselves, just as what had happened with Jonah. But they didn't throw Jesus off the boat, at least not yet. When Jonah demanded that he be thrown off the boat, the men didn't want to because they were afraid that they were doing something really wrong, really unethical, which under any other circumstance would have been true. And here's the detail to emphasize. The disciples might have wanted to throw Jesus off the boat or blame Jesus for the problems they had, but Jesus stayed with them. When they got to the shoreline, we hear nothing of the disciples giving thanks or saying thanks like pious men who cast Jonah off the boat. When we take Jonah, the Jonah story into account with the one that we just heard from Mark, Mark is pointing us toward in his very specific use of language that, that the story might mean a little something different than what we bring our biases and pedestrian ears to. Jesus didn't bail on the disciples. The disciples were in terror and amazement and fear of Jesus, not in the way of giving thanks that the men on Jonah's boat were. I hope you're following these distinctions. Now, in the years I've been a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say they blame God for one thing or another. I've even heard people say they blame God for the good things that happened to them, I, uh, happened to them too. And when I hear this, what I hear is a fear of circumstances or fear of being in any other circumstance than the one you're in. It's easier to do things the way they've always been done. It might be a sinking ship. It might be comfortable. This might relate to how we think about church. We fear the circumstances we have, and we wish for circumstances that we once had, but don't have any, any longer. There isn't much we can do about it in many situations, but we are always afraid of the worst thing that could possibly happen. I know some people find comfort in the idea that God doesn't give you more than you can handle, suggesting that you can handle just about anything. I get it. I get the idea that we should step up and do what we must. But the gospel message is not that we can take on the world by ourselves. We need other people. So often when we're in a crisis situation, whether it's a job or whether it's our economic situation as individuals or as a country, we act as if we are on a boat yelling every man for themselves. We fear the circumstances that challenge us, and we fear, again, that the worst possible thing could happen to us at any time. I don't know about you, but I say a prayer 
every time I'm on a plane, it's about to take off. I think of the worst possible thing that could happen as the, the, I hear the engines revving up. The disciples on the fishing boater on the typically calm and boring Lake of Galilee were experiencing the worst possible fear that they could think of on the boat. And maybe what they should have feared was their own impulse to throw Jesus off the boat. Because as we know, the disciples might as well have done that if left to their own disciples. And maybe it is that they, like we, forget who's on the boat with us. We forget that Jesus has it covered. We forget that the of the circumstances of illness and the burden of teaching and the direct engagement with demons and the confrontation with the horror of political power in these chapters of the Gospel of Mark also include rejection of Jesus by his family in his own hometown. All Jesus had was the devotion of his newly called disciples. He had nothing else. And it might be a small victory that they didn't throw Jesus off the boat. Because we all know that we have had times where we want to throw Jesus off the boat or throw Jesus under the bus for calling us to do something we don't want to do, to, to sacrifice things we don't want to sacrifice, to do the thing, to do the right thing because revenge feels better and avoidance keeps the peace for a little while longer. Throwing Jesus off the bus might be in our minds. We probably do it more than we might guess. But we have taken up the name and the baptism of Jesus in this church. We have picked up the nets as disciples that he has given to us to take to places where there is no water. The question left for us to ask is this. Will we have faith enough to believe that Jesus walks with us when we take up the cross ourselves and for others? Because to walk away is to deny Jesus and to, not, to deny the least of this world who are in need of relief from suffering. So again, the question is, will we, under any circumstance, pick up the cross? Thank you for listening to Dangerous Christianity. For more information about how to get involved in the movement, how to contact Dr. Christopher Rodkey, or where to find information regarding his preaching itinerary, publications, or how to make a contribution to his ministry, please refer to the listed show notes. Dr. Rodkey, again, would like to thank all of his listeners for continuously supporting and tuning into his work and message. Thank you.